Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 7. As we continue preaching through this book of beginnings, uh, we're in the middle of what is a few chapters covering the event known as Noah's Flood. So we're going to read through most of this chapter building on what we saw last week in chapter 6, which was the reason for the flood. And now in chapter 7, we see the description of it. The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and his mate, and a pair of Animals that are not clean, the male and his mate, and seven pairs of the birds of the heavens also, male and female, to keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Drop to verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the same, very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast, according to its kind, and all the livestock, according to their kinds, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, according to its kind, and every bird, according to its kind, every winged creature. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was breath of life, and those that entered, male and female, all flesh, went in as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased and bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated on the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering approximately 22 feet deep. And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm in the earth, and all mankind. Everything on the dry land in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things, birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Our Heavenly Father, we... We ask that you would graciously guide our minds and our hearts 
as we look at a passage that to our culture in so many ways is, is simply unacceptable, not even to be given serious thought. But you are the serious God, true God, only awesome, almighty God, our God, God here in your faithfulness to us. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. What are we to think about the flood story? Was, was Noah's flood even real? Are we to take it seriously? The rest of the Bible, including Jesus himself when he was on earth, all treated the flood as a historical event. And whenever it is quoted, it is in the context that it is to be taken quite seriously. At least 68 different people groups across the world have ancient flood stories built into their culture. And the geography of the world shows it. Marine fossils are found on the tops of mountains all over the world. Regions, large regions of both sedimentary and volcanic rock are all intermixed. Rock that is considered by geologists to be of all ages, yet found intermixed together. There are massive fossil graves of animals of all different habitats, all together fossilized in graves of animals by the tens of thousands. We know that what used to be islands on top of the sea are now actually thousands of feet below and around every continent are huge canyons that are unexplainable to geologists. A, a catechismic flood answers the the current driving force why, while many, even evangelical Christians, find it hard to say that chapter one of Genesis is true. That in seven literal days that God spoke the worlds into existence. And the, the intimidation of geology creates a sense, well, we just have to accept this old earth View And yet we find a flood by itself, a flood that would cover the globe would so radically change the entire structure of the earth, lowering, raising up mountains, creating valleys, shape, reshaping the continent. All of this easily explains the questions that an old earth person would bring up. Verse 11 says that the fountains of the deep burst forth. The, the word literally means it broke open, that it was not just rain that created the flood, but God caused the earth itself to break open and vast amounts of water came out and probably a great amount of volcanic activity as well. 
Was Noah's flood real? We cannot, we cannot receive Scripture as true unless we say that it is. Was this a regional or a global flood? Again, the Bible is, is clear, and it portrays the flood as global. Verse 19, the waters prevailed so mightily in the earth that all the high mountains under the whole earth were covered. We saw last week the ark itself was enormous. It, it was one and a half football fields long and wide, 45 feet tall. It weighed approximately 14 tons, and it would be nonsensical for an ark of that size to be built for a local flood. If it was regional, why even gather the animals? Why gather Noah on it? Just God tell him to flee. Go to high ground. Go somewhere else. And the height of a flood covering mountains, that's impossible unless it, it covers everything. It's the nature of water seeking its own level. And from a biblical standpoint, God's promise that we'll see after the flood, never to bring destruction in that way again, uh, that promise can only be true about a global flood because an uncountable number of regional floods have taken place in the thousands of years since. So it was real, it was global. And how are we to think about this flood? It's not a fable. Nothing is exaggerated. And it is certainly not a cutesy kid's story. The main point of the message, so if your kid's here taking the notes in the outline, the, the main point is, and I think the best way to understand what was the flood about, the flood was triumphant. Now you may be thinking, that seems to be an odd way to talk about the events in this chapter, to talk about the flood. So I, I want to spend the rest of our time looking at how and why we should understand this as indeed a triumphant flood. The first is that through this flood, we see God's rule and his sovereignty is triumphant. The flood uh, is primarily about God, not about Noah. We call it Noah's flood. It is actually God's flood. And Noah happened to be alive when it took place. The full description of how Noah built the ark, equipped the ark, gathered the animals, brought them in the ark. The, the entire description of all that Noah did is in verse 5. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Uh, there's a lot built into that statement but the scripture doesn't give us any of the answers to all the questions. What about this? How did that happen? How did they do? 
Scripture doesn't bring any of that to our attention because God wants to make sure we keep focused on why this flood came and this was the hand of God. Virtually all of the action of chapter 7 takes place outside of the ark, not in it. It is God acting in his timing, the, the supposed power of mankind versus the indeed power of God. Pay attention to the language used about the flood, verses 18 to 20. Verse 18, the waters prevailed and increased greatly. Verse 19, the waters prevailed so mightily. Verse 20, the waters prevailed. And again in verse 24, the waters prevailed. The, the word prevailed is a word used for military conflict and victory. How does God describe what took place? That his, his action, the flood prevailed. It defeated all who thought they could ignore him or stand against him. Humanity rebelled against God. Then, and we know the answer about that now, but God always prevails. For as we have seen already, walking through the book of Genesis, that God will have the last word. He will have the last word over all of our plans and our efforts and our opinions. We can offer up all the thoughts we want to have of what should be and how life should work, but God who is sovereign and always rules over all that he has brought into existence, he will have the last word. He will reign. It was a triumphant flood. Secondly, it was triumphant because we see that God's justice in the flood was Triumphant. Verses 21 to 23. All flesh died. Verse 22. Everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. It, he blotted out every living thing. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left. This is, I, I at first had written the word uncomfortable. It, it's disturbing. I've been reading and thinking and working through this passage and these, these sentences for some time and yet again this morning. The, the weight of what God is speaking to us in such a way 
Do not miss this. He, he tells us all flesh died. But please, please don't just keep going. Don't, don't ignore that. And so he says again, everything in whose nostrils was the breath of life died. And don't, don't let your mind turn from that. And he tells us again, he blotted out every living thing. And then yet again, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left. And we cannot be true to God if we do not declare what God has said or if we try to get by it quickly or explain it away if we try to minimize it in any way we are denying God's intention for here God is clearly maximizing in our attention what he did From the beginning to now, God warns us the wages of sin is death. God has said that from the very beginning. He, he repeats that in all sorts of language over and over again. We, we cannot rebel against God without the judgment of God coming upon it. And so here, God, God brought the judgment that he promised he would. For in chapter 6, verse 5, we, we see that God looked upon the earth and he saw that the intention of man's heart was only evil continually. The flood was indeed a global event to show us that the judgment of God will not miss any sin. There, there is no hidden sin. It doesn't exist. There is no small degree of sin safe from God. That does not exist. And the flood is a witness against those who would doubt God's warning. Jesus tells us this in Luke chapter 17. In verses 26 to 27, the Lord Jesus said, Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be. In the days of the Son of Man, they were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the flood of God's judgment will continue to reach out to everyone who is unprepared for it. it is God harsh? God unfair? 
This flood was no uncontrolled tantrum by God. Indeed, God gave the world lots of warning in time. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, it says God's patience. Speaking of the flood, God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. The ark was literally a warning sign by God, a visible before man's eyes warning sign that he was going to act. And for decades, that warning sign grew. And God's patience to withhold what was deserved while the, the warning of Noah was preached. And we, there's something in us that just is repelled by the thought of God's judgment and yet without God's judgment, there will never be justice in this world. When has human culture in any place or time ever been able to really bring true justice? Little bits here and there. The world's unable to bring a just end. Without the justice of God, how does life even make sense? with all of the evil done against millions of people doing evil against millions of people, heartache and sorrow and horrible things being done and no one held accountable. And we cry out for justice and we call out for it. And can we not see that only God can give it? For God's justice perfectly covers every deed and it fixes every little wrist slap that the world gives. In human justice systems, the wealthy and connected so often escape. So we see that and we, we must never think that somehow the same will happen before God. That there is somehow some form of religious connections that would do the same. That some religious connection we have that I've been going to church a long time. Or I prayed a prayer at one point. Or I do good things better than my neighbor. Do not think that there is some connection outside of the person of Christ who was crucified, dead, buried, and raised to pay for sin. That outside of Christ there is no hope against the justice of God for a perfect God must be just against every sin, everywhere without exception.
Thirdly, the flood was triumphant because in it, God's grace was triumphant. The ark was sufficient to save. And so the ark is a picture of Christ, God's appointed means who is sufficient and who will faithfully save every one that comes to him. Our only hope is to not build a righteousness that will impress God, but to call out to God confessing sin and him making us righteous by his grace. That is what the Bible tells us in Romans 3. I, I want us to look at these words carefully that the Apostle Paul gives us. Romans 3, verses 21 to 24, it, it describes how do we receive grace from a God who must be just. Romans 3.21, but now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. What is all this saying? Verse 21, it says there is righteousness of God apart from the law, meaning apart from what we do. Their righteousness doesn't come because we bring it by our efforts and our works. Righteousness comes from God apart from the law because the law of God can really only do one thing, point the finger and show us we're sinners. So there is a righteousness apart from the law, and it says the righteousness of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. How does trusting in Christ make us righteous? How does it free us from the judgment of God? Because verse 24 says we are justified by his grace through faith. We are made innocent of our sin because on the cross Jesus took our guilt upon himself and his death was a death to pay for our guilt. He received not only death of his body but the judgment of the Father came upon him and he paid in full what our sin requires. And whoever trusts in Christ our guilt is removed. God's righteousness is given to us. And now we can stand before a holy God. And when we stand through what Christ has done, we are secure and the grace of God is triumphant. And fourthly, We see God's rule is triumphant. His justice is triumphant. His grace is triumphant. And fourthly, those who trust in the Lord are triumphant. Noah believed 
He believed enough to build a colossal ark. There had never been anything remotely like it. Maybe some river rafts, a canoe. The, the idea of a ship, an ark, was unknown to human experience or understanding. And Noah gave his life to build one. We can imagine what he endured. The mockery. Not for a little bit. It just increased. We can imagine how often Moses was tempted to look at his own life and say, what am I doing? I've just wasted. I've wasted. Can you not hear that, that voice? In his ear. But when the storm began and the earth itself burst open, Noah and his family were safe. We cannot imagine the sounds they heard of those outside, just of, of the storm inside, hearing all this, the, the movement of, of the ark amidst all of this, the uncertainties, how long will this be? What will we find? What will happen? All of this around them. From a human standpoint, they're in the midst of God's safety, but it, it, it probably didn't feel that safe. There's a the moment of, we're free of that, but there is so much unknown. Verse 16 tells us, God shut them in. Why does it add that? It is a statement that in the midst of all we're going to read of how horrific it was. God himself, God's hand, sealed them in his safety. And he has shut you in to his grace just as securely. No one can get at you. You can't fall out. Nothing can break through the door of God's safety. Nothing can tear gospel truth open so that it no longer is yours. But only one side can be triumphant. Verse 23, only those in the ark were left. Only those in Christ are safe. 
We look at the world, how tempted are we to think evil reigns. It's plentiful, it's deepening. And yet, even as we look around, our hope is meant not only to hold, actually, our hope should be growing. For as we see what's around us, is it not increasingly obvious that nothing else can take Jesus' place? Where else are you going to find hope? What else can stand? Where else is there security? Is it not abundantly clear to us that unless our hope is in Christ, we are without hope? Everyone who trusts in Christ is on the boat. The ark of Christ will not sink. And even in this moment, there is room for more to come. Would you pray? Our Heavenly Father, we, we plead for your mercy and grace to abound in the hearts and minds of each person here. You would not allow anyone to set aside these words as just some foolishness that religious extremists believe, not to allow them to minimize what is true of you, holy and just God and that they would not avert their eyes from the wondrous beauty and love and mercy coming from the Lord Jesus, our Savior. Speak to us who believe to be firm and joyful in our belief and call to yourself everyone who needs it this hour in Jesus' name. Amen.